Hello, Lime Ninjas, and welcome to episode 69 of Lime Ninja Radio. I am your host, McKay Rippey, and with me, finally, in our virtual studio is our producer, Aurora. All the way out from sunny California, which is pretty awesome because, well, I can see the Pacific Ocean from my window. Oh, man. And that's pretty spectacular. That's awesome. Yeah. Before and we has d- it snowed yet? No, it hasn't. And there's no no hint of snow coming, so we might have a brown Christmas, a muddy Christmas. No. It could happen. There's still time for a Christmas miracle, though. Well, before we get yeah, too sidetracked, so. hang on. Before we get too sidetracked, I want to introduce our new sponsor, Greg Lee. He's a friend and mentor of mine, and he's putting on an awesome training for Lyme literate practitioners to learn about alternative treatments. And here's a word from Greg. You know, over the past 17 years, I've been working with hundreds of Lyme patients, and many of them, 80% of my patients are on antibiotics. I've got 20 Lyme literate doctors in my area, and I see patients from all of them. And they've tried... Buner, they've tried Cowden, they've tried Marshall, they've tried Zhang, uh, they've, you know, they've got to a Rife machines, and many of these people are still sick, are still struggling, and they have recurring symptoms. And to me, it's, uh, they've done the protocols, and they need something much more customized, much more targeted. So to learn more about Greg's training, go to goodbylime.com front slash Lime Ninja. Again, that's goodbylime.com front slash Lime Ninja. Let's see if I can say that one more time slowly without slurring my words. Goodbylime.com front slash Lime Ninja. So, Aurora, how's my radio training paying off? Not so great, huh? You'll make it. It'll be okay. Okay, thanks. (laughs) <laughs> this is lesson three of our four-part masterclass on nutrition and brain health. Yes, the first lesson was an introduction to bone broth with Ariane Resnick, the author of The Bone Broth Miracle. She taught us how bone broth should be the foundation for healing your gut, reducing inflammation, and boosting your immune system. And the second masterclass was all about fermentation and how to make your own pro- probiotics without spending a fortune. And that was with expert and certified nutrition consultant, therapeutic chef, and the inventor of CrowdSource, one of my favorite gadgets, Karen Diggs. If you haven't listened to Lesson 1 or Lesson 2 yet, and you like to do things in order, then go back to our website and start at the beginning. Yes, just go to LimeNindaRadio.com and click on the link to Masterclasses. However, if you don't mind learning randomly, just keep listening because today's lesson, lesson number three, is a deeper dive into the connection between food, your gut, and your brain. We're going to explore how long-term antibiotic use damages your intestines and how you can repair that damage. Aurora, tell us about Lesson 3's expert, Joni Blackster. Joni Blackster is a nutritional consultant, and her business is called Follow Your Gut. She is a weekly contributor to Kelly the Kitchen Cop website. Joni has worked as an educator in the natural foods and products industry, which gives her an insider's view into 
organic farming and livestock practices, production and processing animal foods, including dairy products, and supplement manufacturing. She's helped thousands of people and is also the Ventura County Chapter Leader of the Weston A. Price Foundation. Thank you, Aurora. And let's dive right in. This is Lesson 3 of our four-part masterclass on nutrition and brain health. How are things out in California? Dry. <laughs> Very dry. But we're looking forward to getting more uh, water this winter because they're saying chances are more than 90% that the El Nino is going to be strong this winter. So as long as the soil uh, can hold the water that comes down, it'll be an improvement. That's for sure. So will that be snow up in the mountains or rain down by you? Well, that's what we're hoping because, of course, uh, you know, that snowpack is critical for filling the reservoirs and the lakes and so on. Yeah. Um, and down where I am, which is about an hour and a half north of L.A., the, the big concern is since we've had five years of drought, that there's going to be huge runoff and we're going to have major landslides. Right. It just same thing happens here when things dry out. It's like a yeah. dry sponge. The water doesn't go in, does it? No, not unless you've had proper soil practices. You know, for farmers who this is this is where really good farming practices um, just uh, statistically are so much better. Um, but unfortunately, it takes a drought or a, a major weather problem for. Um, farmers to really sit up and pay attention if they haven't been using good soil practices. So let's spend a second there and talk about good farming practices. What do you mean by that? Because I think I know what you mean. (laughs) Um, You know, it's amazing to me how uh, much the soil uh, biome is, is fundamentally similar to the human biome in my small, uh, self-educated world. Um, You know, the the soil depends very directly upon the communication of uh, a healthy community of uh, beings, and those beings are a a broad range. They're primarily bacteria, but also fungal. Um, and then there's a, a whole range of other beings that uh, are present when your soil is really thriving and healthy. And one of the outstanding features of soil like that is, is that it retains water much better. It's much more resilient. We live on a small farm in the middle of New York, and it had been rented for quite a few years by the pecks up the road probably shouldn't use their name, but hopefully they're not listening. And they really worked the soil hard. They did conventional farming and year after year of corn and very little crop rotation. So by the time we stopped leasing to them, uh, the soil is mostly clay. And we little by little, we have a very small herd of cattle, some heritage breed, American Melking Devons, and they're out on that pasture every winter. 
and we haul the hay out, eat them, and they kind of stir it up and eat the hay, and out comes the other end, lots of, <laughs> lots of bacteria and uh, other oh. nutrients. And slowly by slowly, the soil is starting to come back. And then on the little plot, we have a really big garden, and we've been doing green cover crops and tilling that back in, and that's coming along a lot faster, but it's much more expensive and more intensive. Yeah. So are you familiar with the, the Marin Carbon Project or uh, Peter Donovan? I don't know them. Okay. Well, uh, Peter Donovan is doing uh, revolutionary work very quietly behind the scenes right now in that this whole issue of soil health um, is easily dismissed by the conventional farming work in Big Ag um, because they say, rightly that oh that's that's just a philosophy that doesn't there's no proof of of that there's no proof around you know improving your carbon levels there's no proof around uh, uh, more resilient soil um, and so the Peter Donovan has set up a project whereby uh, in terms of carbon retention and increasing carbon he has a uh, a, a bus that he's outfitted, and he is measuring carbon in the soil of uh, various farmers who yep. have got healthy practices. So eventually, you know, 10, 20 years from now, he will be the guy with statistics to prove it, but it's time. Yeah, that's, I should, uh, I have a confession to make. My father-in-law is really the farmer. I own the land and he does all the work. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's a great arrangement. And so I'm sure he's come across at least somebody, uh, doing similar work or talking about the same sort of thing. Cause we talk about carbon sequestration with just grass a lot. And what I didn't realize is, and talking about soil, also is that essentially as tall as the grass gets, the roots grow underneath. So if every once in a while you let your grass grow really tall before you cut it, uh, it's sending down roots deep inside the soil and it's taking the carbon out of the air and putting it into the roots. And it's also breaking up the soil and allowing the bacteria and uh, nutrients and everything else to kind of penetrate down past the first couple inches. So it's the, the soil, like you said, is alive. And it's, it's, and oh, this, hugely. yeah, and this is a great segue. So let's, let's, cause I know I've looked at all your articles on Kelly, the kitchen cop. I love, love your themes here. And oh, one of them is about glyphosate. Yeah. Glyphosate. Yep. Yeah. Yep, which, yep, yep. which essentially, I mean, we're eventually going to get to antibiotics in the gut, but let's essentially that's antibiotics in the soil. So what, what is that, and what's it doing to the soil, and why is that a problem? Well, you know, glyphosate was originally created by Monsanto and patented um, first. I'm not sure which came first. I don't remember. But it's been patented by them as both a mineral chelator and an antibiotic. So they knew very early on decades ago, that it uh, killed bacteria in the soil and on the plant. Um, so, the, you know, it's taken decades for us to 
get more information about the effects on human health because uh, all the studies were uh, proprietary and owned by Monsanto. Um, so it's only been in the last, God, 10 years probably that really good studies have been done about uh, uh, this effect on the, on the human gut and what we've, uh, the, the, I would say the big, uh, blow up came when, what was it? Two years ago when doctors Seneff and Anthony mm-hmm. Samsel, right. um, published their research and they are out of MIT, very well respected, high level researchers. And what they found is, is that, uh, you know, the claim has always been in the, in the agribiz industry that the reason glyphosate was relatively safe and non-toxic is because uh, it only affects a specific protein pathway in insects. But the, the documentation that they provided is that it didn't affect that humans don't have that protein pathway. And in fact, mammals in general do not have that protein pathway. Right. And then what Seneff and Sample demonstrated is, is that, oops, that protein <laughs> pathway is in fact in uh, the microflora that are in the human gut. And oops, our uh, immune system, 80 to 85%, possibly as high as 85%, is uh, contained is absolutely critical to the functioning of the the uh, immune system receptor sites that are embedded in our intestinal wall. So, without a healthy microbiome in the gut, our immune system is not functioning properly. And oops, glyphosate that we get exposed to in both our environment and our food, if we're eating uh, genetically engineered soy, uh, you know, so on, uh, goes right down to the gut and interferes with the human gut level. So at this point, is is Roundup everywhere? I mean, does every is it like rocket fuel and breast milk? Is it just like everywhere? Well, I'll tell you, um, moms across America are uh, promoting a... Uh, uh, they did some... It, testing several years ago where they had a group of moms. It wasn't a large group. I believe it was only about 30 women. But these were all breastfeeding mothers who uh, were also on a a, a GMO-free diet for anywhere from, I believe it was three months to two years when they got their breast milk tested. And when they first came up with this idea, uh, they had a terrible time, the organizers behind Moms Across America, they had a really difficult time finding laboratories that even do glyphosate testing. So first they had to lay that groundwork to be able to find some labs. And then the results of these uh, mothers that got their breast milk tested uh, were very frightening because they found astronomically high levels in the breast milk. Mm. So all of that glyphosate, of course, is going into their babies. Right. And is, is part of the picture of a 
developing brain and nervous system and so on. So we so, know. Uh, go ahead. Go ahead. You go ahead. <laughs> uh, no, that's good. That's a good stopping point. Tell me what you were thinking. About. Uh, so it's going to ask. So we know that it acts as an antibiotic out in the fields on the farms. Yeah. When it gets into us, is it also acting as an antibiotic? Is it reducing our biome? Do we, um, do well, we know that was, yet? This well, this was Senef and Samsel's um, perspective, mm -hmm. you know, um, and of course, then about a year or so later, uh, just back in this uh, this year, 2015 in April, the World Health Organization dropped their bomb worldwide where they reclassified glyphosate from a relatively low toxicity to a probable carcinogen. Hmm. And they did that based on their own testing as opposed to using the testing that was done um, by Monsanto and other big biotech companies that, that do their produce glyphosate. Um, and what nobody is saying, but what is kind of the uh, underwriting to the reclassification to cancer-causing is the question, is it interfering so much with the microbiome uh, upon which our immune system depends that that, therefore, leads to cancer? Hmm. And, you know, I, I don't know. I'd have to do some more research. Yeah, I, I don't think anybody's willing to say that yet. Yeah, I, don't, I haven't seen any uh, research showing that. I was just wondering if, since you've got your ear to the ground, if you had come across anything before I had. And so let's, let's bring this around to our guts and antibiotic use. And you have another wonderful article and... Uh, essentially, you say the one probiotic to take when taking an antibiotic, and this information may save your life someday. And it's it's a little bit of a dramatic headline, but I think you're right. <laughs> that, that headline is actually, um, you know, I I write a weekly column. That was a, that was an article that I wrote for Kelly the Kitchen Cop, and uh, that actually should have been in quotes because that is actually. Uh, linked directly to um, an article that is called that. Oh. Yes. So Very I don't make perhaps you didn't open up the link. But that is uh, Dr. William Campbell Douglas's article and that's the title of his article. No, I missed that part, that reference to it. But but anyway, so we've got glyphosate out in the fields and we've got antibiotics and the Lyme people, some of them are absolutely reliant on antibiotics just to, to save their lives and to function. Yeah, and, and, and just to qualify, glyphosate is not just in the field. Right. Glyphosate is literally everywhere. That's, you know, it's, it's, yes. it's the most commonly used uh, uh, weed killer and so it's on golf courses, it's in people's backyards, it's, uh, it's really everywhere, and I uh, have a friend and I decided to uh, get our, uh, get tested for glyphosate, mm -hmm. so she has a very fancy reverse osmosis system, Yeah. so she decided to get her urine tested uh, 
I do not have a fancy system, and I could only afford one test, which was $119. And so I got my water tested. Um, My water came up negative for glyphosate, but my friend with her careful diet and fancy filtration system uh, came up with levels of glyphosate in her urine. So I'm guessing that if I were to get my urine tested, it would come up positive for glyphosate. And I think because part of that is, number one, we're constantly exposed by our environment. And number two is most all of us eat out in restaurants. And every time you eat out in a restaurant, you can absolutely count on getting GMO food. Right. Either through the wheat. It's not just the field. It's everywhere. Yeah. It is. Thank you. And so let's bring that, take that into antibiotic use and the gut because it's sort of, mm-hmm. it's doing something similar. It's just, and <laughs> I'm losing my train of thought. So luckily my daughter Aurora will clean this up. Hello, Aurora, clean this up, please. <laughs> um, so, by the way, as long as this is going to be edited out, mm-hmm. uh, where did you grow up? Did you grow up in West, Western Pennsylvania or uh, <laughs> West Virginia? Isn't that funny? I my dad has some relatives out there. I grew up in D.C. Oh, uh, okay. Why okay. Yeah. do you know some rippies out there? Well, I grew up outside of Pittsburgh, okay. and there's just a few words that I hear you saying. It's like, oh, that sounds like home. Isn't that funny? I spent a semester at Duquesne, but mm-hmm. I don't think I picked up that much of the Pittsburgh. No, 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 that's a DC. Yeah. No young, anyway, no so, youngs. Uh, I totally sidetracked you there. I apologize. That's all right. It's a great question. That might just be the Middle Atlantic thing. Mm, yeah, it's a little, yeah. Philly, DC. <laughs> so let's talk about antibiotics and what they're doing to your gut and what you can do to save your gut. Because as I mentioned earlier, so many people are either on IV antibiotics or really heavy doses of antibiotics. And even if they're not on Western Med, they're on some type of herbal antibiotics, which is also going to affect the gut biome. Yeah. Yep. 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 So what is this one probiotic that you're talking about. I can't even pronounce it. Um, well, Saccharomyces boulardii is uh, actually a, a probiotic fungi. And there are quite a few. You know, I'm not aware of all of them. Um, if you go into a house food store and grab any probiotic bottle off the shelf and look at it, uh, what it contains, uh, you'll see, you know, cerveci and things like that um, because our, our guts need a very, very wide variety of um, microorganisms that are all talking to one another. I mean, it, uh, I was just listening to your interview with uh, Zach Bush. Oh, he's fascinating. He is he is so uh, he's so educated. I was really appreciative that I listened to that. Um, so yeah, I, I agree with him. The 
formulas that you can purchase at the retail level are highly limited. There's a lot of uh, discussion about whether or not it, it, they're live or not, whether or not it makes any difference, whether or not they're live, what survives the stomach acid. Um, these are all questions that are kind of out of my realm because I'm not a researcher. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I do believe that the bottom line is that we need a huge diversity, and the only way to get that is going to be from food, ultimately. Right. I mean, that's how we're designed. So I really do think lacto-fermenting your own foods at home is really important. And uh, developing relationships with farmers that you know are farming correctly in the way that you want um, so that you can purchase direct from them whenever possible. Um, Because, you know, we're designed to be getting exposure to a lot of these through our food. The, The... Plants that grow in really healthy soil uh, carry a huge diversity, and then we eat those. Uh, this is part of the reason why I'm also so interested in farming practices. Um, our health can't be separated from our farming practices, in my opinion. So what can, so pe- I, what can people do if they're on lots of antibiotics to help keep their gut from falling apart? Um, you know, that's, oh, I have, working on the vitamin aisle, as I have for the last six years, uh, I've had to answer that question to the best of my ability thousands of times. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I don't know because, uh, I really believe that antibiotics are so, um, detrimental to our microbiome. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, there are times when you've absolutely got to go with them because your life is in danger. Um, constant uh, food sources, you know, so we're talking kefirs, uh, sauerkrauts, kombuchas, all of those. Uh, if I was on antibiotics, I would make sure, number one, first thing I would do would be to make sure I was working with a healthcare practitioner that I really, really trusted because it's very complex what antibiotics do to the body. And uh, I think it's a a long, constant path for recovery. So that would be the first thing. I wouldn't try to manage it on my own at home. Um, I always tell everybody food's got to be the base. And um, then you know, based on what your practitioner is telling you, to be adding in um, supplements as they describe to you they think that you need. I personally have worked with the last five years um, with uh, a person who is trained uh, with um, what's called uh, the practitioner who developed this system is Dr. Paul Eck. And it is a heavy metal detox mm-hmm. and balancing system. And uh, in my experience working through my own health, which I've had a very damaged microbiome uh, pretty much, I think, since I was the day I was born, because my mother was on a very strong round of penicillin all through her pregnancy with me and uh. during delivery. So 
her vaginal canal was completely sterile yeah. um, when I passed through. Um, so I did not get my biome, did not get inoculated appropriately from day one. Um, but I do think that the, there is a, a very powerful uh, relationship that goes on in the body with the metals and that those metals absolutely affect uh, the microbiome. So I have found that work to be uh, critically important. So not only do you have to worry about the antibiotics that we're taking in and any antibiotics that we're getting from our environment, whether it's household cleaning stuff or from from the food that we're eating, but now you're saying we have to also watch out for the heavy metals, that they're not just toxic to the kidney and the brain and the liver, but they're also toxic to the gut. Is that what you're saying? They're not only toxic to the gut, but uh, once the... Uh, once our organs, for instance, the whole relationship between the thyroid and the adrenals, and of course the adrenals, uh, all of this is stress, and so the adrenals begin to function inappropriately. When that happens, they begin um, dysfunctionally dealing with metals. Uh, adrenals in particular, uh, I think of them as kind of like a, uh, a metal uh, police officer, and when they get exhausted, which is so common for almost all of us, uh, they begin to, uh, especially they're not uh, dealing with copper appropriately. And copper is very common in the food that we eat. So it's kind of like the police officer is asleep on the job. Mm-hmm. So normally it, they would say, oh, we've got you know, X amount of mercury, we've got uh, copper, we've got this, we've got that. Okay, so we use this amount over here and that over there, and we do send the rest of it out of the body. And when the adrenals are dysfunctional, it looks at copper and it says, ugh, can't deal with this right now, just put it over in the soft tissues. So with adrenal exhaustion, you, you tend to begin to have pretty high levels of copper that first get stored in the liver, and then uh, when the liver gets full, it begins to send it into soft tissues, and eventually the brain will begin to pick it up. Um, so that's just one example. So what are the... Um, let's stop there for a second. I know copper's an antagonist to zinc, and zinc's important for your immune mm-hmm. system. So I know it mm-hmm. kind of reduces the level of the zinc and therefore reduces your immune system. But what are some of the other symptoms of copper toxicity, like when it starts getting put into your muscles? Um, copper toxicity is... <laughs> It's sort of, um, how do I want to say, it, you know, it's like getting Lyme disease. It, it's these very, very common symptoms. Mm-hmm. And uh, un- until you get uh, tested, and most of the testing is going to wind up being hair, but the reality is, is that uh, whenever metals are stored in soft tissue, you have to have a soft tissue test. And so the easiest way to do that is to look at what's going on in the hair. Uh-huh. Um, but it's it's very similar to Lyme and all those other diseases in that you get, sorry, diseases is the wrong word. 
um, conditions. Mm-hmm. So you, brain fog is very common. Um, copper is a, uh, it carries an electrical charge very easily. So when it, you start to hold it in the brain, you get these excitatory characteristics. Um, in the initial stages, these are people who look uh, very bright, possibly easily excited, uh, very thinking people, uh, possibly highly philosophical. Um, in the beginning stages, they look rather attractive. Mm-hmm. Um, then as they tend to pick up more and more copper, their anxiety levels pick up. They can't shut their brains down. They begin to get insomnia. Um, yeah, so, it, and it'll move on from there. That sounds like a lot of people with Lyme disease. Yeah. One of my patients who was kind of on the tail end, she was kind of coming out of uh, a really rough patch with Lyme disease and then was relapsing. And one of the issues she had was copper toxicity. And her doctor was able to diagnose it, confirm it with a blood test. So it must have been really bad if uh, it was showing up in her blood. Yeah, truly. Now, the other thing, kind of your day job, so to speak, is you have a great website. It's called followyourgut.com. And you go to people's homes and you help them purge. Yeah. Now, well, you know, that's one of the things that you learn uh, at retail is that uh, folks will go to people like yourself. And especially if they're older, uh, they'll have all these changes that they've got to put into their lives. And especially the sicker they are, the more overwhelming they, it is for them. So I decided that it would be, uh, that I wanted to fill that gap so that I could help somebody put these changes in place. So what's the most common thing you're purging out of somebody's refrigerator or pantry? Oh, that totally varies from person to person. <laughs> Come on. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, it really does because people um, from, with all levels of uh, education about their diet come to me, you mm-hmm. know. Um, so what's the wor- what's say- the worst you've ever seen? Let's get down and dirty. Um, God, well, you know the most common issues are simply pasteurized dairy and gluten. Okay. You know that that's that's the biggest, and people don't know how to read labels. So, depending on, you know, as One of the aspects of adrenal exhaustion that so many of us have is that the more exhausted the adrenals are, the more we develop food allergies and food sensitivities. So depending on how sensitive they've become, you have to oftentimes dump everything because most people buy processed foods. Processed foods inevitably, if it's not what they've added to it that's problematic, it's the actual 
processing itself, you know, the manufacturing process that food has been through that makes it highly inflammatory. And I agree with uh, what I heard Dr. Zach say that inflammation is the underlying issue for pretty much everything these days. Yeah. Yeah, I really think so, it is. Yeah, you know, dairy and wheat and then... Um, Really, anything in a box, bag, or can is suspect, and we got to look at the ingredients. Are there any brands out there that are fairly, like, fairly clean, sort of clean, or is it if it comes in a box or a can, forget it? Uh, yeah, that's my rule of thumb. Did you have some particular food category? <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I, I, we tend to, we've got a, our huge garden and it's right at the end of summer. So most of our food's coming out of, out of our garden at this point. And we, we do, uh, butcher our own cow or ashes. We don't butcher it. We send it out. So we have a freezer mm-hmm. full of, uh, grass fed beef. And then we'll supplement it with, you know, fish and chicken from time to time. So, you know, yeah. we're not, we're not buying too much stuff, especially out of a box. Um, so, but I'll, I'm just, I was just curious because it, it, like you, we've gone so far other to the, over to the other side that we forget how I, I mean, when I was young and our kids, I would, we would buy the macaroni and cheese with the powdered stuff and make sure. that, yeah. you know, several yeah. times a week and throw in a can of tuna fish and call that healthy eating. Um, yeah. but that was so far ago. It, I forget what it's like. You know, I don't. Well, don't. that is the tricky part, which is that our food system is so adulterated and it's not just food. It's also all that crap under your counter, your sink, with, you know, for your cleaning supplies and laundry and everything, that I have to be very careful not to overwhelm people. <laughs> so, uh, depending on how, because we do not know how to cook food from scratch anymore. Yeah. You know? So that's why I also offer this service, where I, I teach people how to cook some basic, very nutrient-dense, cook up or prepare basic food because, uh, you know, I, uh, it's really a huge, huge learning curve. No. And I'm blessed because I've worked in the natural foods and products industry all my life. So this is, you know, not, uh, I have a, a, a base that most people don't have. And I understand how when you get really sick, you just don't have the brain power to, to figure this stuff out. You need somebody literally to lead you by the hand. Yeah. That is true. It's overwhelming. It's overwhelming. Mm-hmm. Now, do you have a favorite cookbook or website with recipes that you mm-hmm. kind of go back to over and over again? Oh, you're, you're so hilarious. <laughs> because... I am so not a cook. Really? Yeah, I am not a cook. Are you one of those naturally talented people that you can just throw together a meal? Well, no. I mean, I eat very, very simply. I don't have a family anymore that I need to cook for. I live by myself. So what I focus on is quality ingredients, quality food, but 
you know, I do the most basic. So that's why the service that I offer is very, very simple foods. Uh, I am no chef. And if, if somebody needs somebody to, to prepare foods and bring them into the home, I refer them on somewhere else because that's not me. <laughs> I can talk their ear off about quality and purity. Uh-huh. But I'm not a chef. So what what do you so, cook for yourself? You know, I have I have nourishing traditions, okay. which is the book by Sarah Allen, and that's that's a wonderful, wonderful basic reference. Um I do like Sandra Tack's book for people who want to learn uh, about how to do fermentation. And other than that, I go online, you know. <laughs> I just interviewed Ariane Resnick is the name of the chef. Oh, yes, I've heard of her. Yes, I've heard of her. And she's she's delightful. She's also a fan of Weston Price and kind of got into bone broth by accident. And so, I'll, anyway, I'll just, just wondering. I cook very well, simply. Yeah, my no, I, I, I can't go more than two weeks without making some bone broth because I just find my body craves it. And I assume that it's the gelatin because the gelatin is so healing to the gut. Yeah, interesting. It really is, isn't it? The mm. original protein drink, I like to say. Yeah, yeah. So I cook very simply myself. I'd be very happy almost every day just eating stir fry, and mm. and maybe that's about it <laughs> once a day. So what? How do you do? You just saute? Do you, what do you do? Do you eat raw foods? Um, I'm going to push you a little. No, bit. I get a lot of my raw foods from the lacto fermented foods. I I really believe in following one's cravings because I think as long as what you're putting in is pure and unadulterated and doesn't have bizarre food chemistry designed to make it taste better than the reality of what it is, Mm -hmm. um, that the body is a pretty honest uh, guideline. So I find, and I do find that uh, there really is a a fair um, variety. There's a uh, of what works best, you know. Some people do absolutely do better on a higher carbohydrate diet than what works for me. I am definitely uh, in the paleo school in that I find that I need animal protein at every meal, and that's kind of ironic because I'm an ex-vegetarian. I was a vegetarian for 29 years. Wow. Yeah, and... I really hurt myself with that diet. Um, I was a lacto-vegetarian. And uh, ironically, I do not find that I can tolerate pasteurized dairy in any way, shape, or form. I can't even tolerate raw dairy. I have a casein intolerance. No kidding. And my guess is that that is a level of intestinal damage that developed because uh, my mother was on um, antibiotics when when I was born. Right. And I may not be able to undo that sensitivity. My system does not recognize casein 
as something that's okay for it, no matter how it's packaged. So that is a, an area of deep sadness to me because I really love cheese. Now, can you do goat cheese? Can you do goat dairy? Well, I've tried everything. And you've tried A2 as well? Yep. Okay. Just curious. Well, I, I would. So I, I'm ever hopeful that that may shift it, if I uh, can uh, figure out how to. I, I know I have more gut healing that's got to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, we'll see. All righty. Well, you have been so informative and generous with your time. I really, really appreciate it. And before we go, I'd like you to have the last say. So if there's anything we haven't covered that you wanted to cover or any final comments. And then after that, if you'll tell us how to get hold of you. So if people want to follow their gut and purge their pantry, they know how to get hold of you. Oh, very kind of you. Um, I guess the only uh, other thing I'd like to add is, is that I really do uh, believe that a lot of our gut issues um, are related to the fact that we are getting exposed to uh, substances that have antibiotic properties and that uh, birth control pills uh, are one of those unknown sources. Um, I would encourage people to do research about that online. Uh, the other is uh, I have a lot of concerns about the fact that all personal care products must, by definition, if they're commercially made, have antimicrobials in them. And nobody really understands uh, the effects of putting those directly on the skin, at which point then they are carried by the bloodstream. So my concern is, is that uh, the bloodstream can carry them down to the gut and harm the microbiome. Good grief. So, yeah. So just an FYI for people to, to red flag those if they're really trying to address their gut health. And, uh, yeah, I do write a weekly column for Kelly the Kitchen Cop, and if people want to follow me there, um, they should just uh, go to kellythekitchencop.com. And my, my articles come out every Monday, and if they want to get in touch with me, my website is follow-your-gut.com and I am available for consultations uh, and I can do that over the phone with anybody anywhere including if they're not local to where I live which is Ojai, California uh, I can I can talk with them over the phone about uh, what they need to look out for in terms of clearing, cleaning up their pantry and their closet to make their homes um, safer. Terrific. Joni, thank you very much. Oh, thanks for the opportunity. Okay, I really appreciate it. You're welcome. Wow. So I learned a lot. It's incredible to me that that it was her, that she believes that it's her mom's penicillin use when she was in the womb that was still affecting her, that's still affecting her today. Right. We're just learning what antibiotics, long-term antibiotics use, and even short-term antibiotic use, does to the gut biome. 
And we even know less about what the gut biome does to our health. And there's some serious research going on connecting it with psychological issues, with uh, Alzheimer's disease, with weight gain, with all kinds of disease processes. So the antibiotics may not be as benign as we, we first thought. They may have long-term consequences. And clearly, in people with Lyme disease, uh, where your gut tends to be an issue anyway, it definitely multiplies the problem there. Alrighty, that wraps up Masterclass Lesson 3. If you missed any of the previous lessons, you can go to our website. Yes, go to LimeNinjaRadio.com. Yep, and click on the Masterclass link. Thank you, Aurora. All right, goodbye, everybody. Lime Ninja Radio is a purely public broadcast and is not intended to be personalized medical advice for any individual's specific situation. Each individual's medical situation is unique and Lime Ninja Radio should not be relied upon and or considered as personalized medical advice. Lime Ninja Radio is not licensed to render medical advice and should be considered simply the public opinion of Lime Ninja Radio and its guests. Recommendations on specific treatment options are not intended to address any listener's particular medical situation. As always, contact your physician before considering any new treatment.